0: We have the honor and the privilege to talk about one of the sport's greatest athletes, uh, a dominant player from the NBA and the NCAA college basketball, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and his history, what made him such a legend. And his story's coming up in just a moment. My name's Darren Hayes, and I know you've heard me on the Pigskin Dispatch talking about football history for years. Well, now I'm on a new mission, a quest to find sports history in other sports, as well as football, by learning through the jerseys and the apparel and the gear that the players wore and the franchises supplied their teams. It's an educational trip, and I'm taking you with me day by day, player by player, uniform by uniform, the Sports Jersey Dispatch. Hello my sporting friends, this is Darren Hayes of the Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, where we are going to take a look at one of the greatest legends in all of sports, and especially on the basketball courts, and we're going to talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, those of us who like sports and listen and read about it daily have heard of the basketball legend named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Of course, we know that he is a six-time NBA champion. Six-time NBA regular season most valuable player, two-time NBA final most valuable player and a 19-time NBA All-Star, and Kareem scored, uh, listen to this, 38,387 points in his illustrious career. Now, we may not remember that Mr. Abdul-Jabbar is also one of the only five players to lead in NBA in blocks and rebounds in the same season, and also that Kareem, at the time of his retirement from playing the game that he was so very good at, participating in more than a record 57,000 on-floor minutes, the most in NBA games ever by an individual. Uh, 1560 games at the time when he retired and it's a uh, common knowledge that he changed his name about a year before being drafted in the professional level from Lou cinder as uh, he was converted to Islam. We'll get more to that in just a minute. But some of those tidbits that are lesser known about the legend are equally as fascinating as uh, talking about the ones that we do already know uh, from his NBA career. We're going to go back and uh, a lot of his early career early and early life, you know, what made this man such a good leader on and off the court? Where did he require the skills and wisdom to hone his craft of playing in the paint as well as he did? Let's review together and come out knowing a little bit more about this man, shall we, in this episode? Now, he was born Ferdinand Louis Alcinder Jr. Uh, on April 16, 1947, in New York City, the only child of Ferdinand and Cora Alcinder. They were a middle class Roman Catholic family in Upper Manhattan. Uh, New York City. And as many practicing Catholic families in the city, Lou attended parochial school at the parish of St. Jude's. Uh, as a student in grade school, it afforded him the privilege to participate in athletic endeavors with others in competitive arenas. And Lou played baseball and even excelled at ice skating and swimming as a youngster. That's a really hard to imagine, but you know, that's great that he was such an athleticism. He would never know that about the, the great uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Uh, quickly the young man grew up and grew rapidly like many of us his limbs grew faster than his coordination and became an awkward team the only thing that uh, Lou had more of an issue at is because he shot up much more rapidly than most of us uh, have ever do you know his height just grew enormously uh, uh, you know as a young age and I'm talking he was like six foot Six, uh, while in the eighth grade, uh, the awkwardness made Lou a little bit self-conscious, and he started to stray away from the pool, the baseball diamond, and the ice, and headed to a place of refuge and solace uh, for his unexpected height. It was the hardwoods of the basketball court, and boy, did they all welcome him there. The advantage of his size on the court was, uh, no pun intended, huge. Of course, uh, soon high school coaches from all around New York were clamoring to try to recruit the youngster uh, to come out of grade school and play hoops at their respective high schools. The Alcindra family finally made their choice from all the wonderful offers and chose Power Memorial Academy coached by Jack Donahue. Now Lou was still growing, and as by the time he entered the academy as a student, he had reached a six foot eight inch mark. Now, Coach Donahue must have been drooling by now, and he placed the youngster on a varsity squad immediately. That was almost unheard of for a high school freshman to receive this honor. But Lou Alcinder was a specially gifted athlete, and his great size didn't hurt either. And old Coach D recognized the skills that this young man possessed and just had to hone him a little bit. Now the Power Academy coaching staff and Lou worked extremely hard to build coordination and Lou's growing physique. You know, hours of drills, running, and mind-numbing footwork, agility exercises, and other things, you know, just molded young Cinder into an even better athlete. The hard work paid off. As Lou in the 10th grade led the Power Memorial to the New York City Catholic League title, ripping off 27 straight victories along the way as the big sophomore averaged more than 19 points per game. He took it up a notch in even more tiresome work in the offseason. Season. And during Cinder's junior season, he averaged 26 points per game, going up seven points per game in just that one year. And the winning streak for the Power Academy continued as they, again, won the New York City crown for Catholic school high schools. And the growth experience and the stardom all grew in tandem as Lou averaged over 33 points a game as a senior. And he and his squad captured a third straight Catholic school high school championship in the Big Apple. And it was a string of victories seldom ever accomplished. And although Powers' unbeaten streak of 71 games was snapped by DeMatha High School of Hyattsville, Maryland and lose final season of high school. Now, it's time to choose a place of higher education to attend for Lou Alcinder, And he was a phenom and was very much so entering in the public eye. And Lou was able to take advantage of receiving some advice uh, from some top African-American leaders of the era who, uh, on where to attend college. Now, legends like Jackie Robinson and Arthur Ashe spoke to Lou, and even he received some advice from the Undersecretary of the United Nations, Ralph Bunch. Now, the offers from places of higher uh, <laughs> Their learning. I'm sure had to be overwhelming. I'm sure the mailbox at the Alcinder home was just you know overpacked every day. The mailman probably had to bring a special truck just to bring these college offers to him. But having those great advisors that uh, had reached the pinnacle of their professions, especially you know Ash and Robinson, you know reaching the the high points of their respective uh, sporting classes that they played and they, the uh, games that they played, were just a great advantage for the young Lou Alcinder and his family to help determine where to go ahead and play his college ball at. Now finally the choice was made and Lou Alcinder accepted the scholarship offer from the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. Yeah, there were some pretty smart cookies as a head coaches there, especially the head coach, John Wooden. Coach Wooden was a master at getting young athletes to reach their potential by honing their skills and developing a mastery of playing the positions as a cohesive team unit with others. In that era of college athletics, incoming freshmen were not permitted to play on the varsity squad per NCAA rules. So, Lou had to spend a year on a freshman team, and Wooden knew his frosh team was pretty good without Cinder in the middle, but what happened next had to come as a surprise even to the man that had recruited him and put the team together. Wooden's varsity team had captured the NCAA championship title in two of the past three years at that point, point. and this same talented team would also—they'd be dominated by the freshman team of UCLA in a 65 to 70 drubbing. Uh, in a game that wouldn't uh, had pitted them in having that varsity against the freshman squad. And a lot of it, responsibility belonged to Lou Alcinder in the center of that freshman team. And It was a sign to come f- for all that UCLA would continue to be a dominant pe- player on NCAA men's basketball and that Lou Alcinder would play a major role in them being the team to beat in NCAA men's hoops. The time had finally arrived and Lou took full advantage of the stage when he could finally perform on that varsity squad. Lewin just his first game wearing UCLA varsity blue dropped in 56 points against Cal and he along with guards Mike Warren and Lucius Allen uh, as well as forwards uh, Kenny Heights and Len Lynn Shackelford and the coaching of the Wizard of Westwood took UCLA to a perfect 26-0 season. The UCLA Bruins won the national championship again in 1967, beating Dayton in a final game of the tournament. In fact, they won the NCAA title two more years after that, too, as their big man, Lew Alcindor, uh, paved the way for the great 3 P in college basketball immortality. It wasn't always easy on the road, either. Now, the 1960s were an extremely eventful time of, to be a black college-age student, especially one that was in the limelight of the public. You, know, you had the, the war in Vietnam going on, you had racial tensions and civil rights movements and marches happening, and things were changing quite a bit. Now, Lou closely followed the civil rights movement and even studied as he was inspired what African American leaders such as Malcolm X had to say. He found that the teaching of the religion of Islam connected with him in a way he had never experienced before, and he soon began the process of converting into that religion. On the court, Jabbar and the Bruins found hurdles too. The University of Houston, with their big man, Elvin Hayes, broke the UCLA streak of 47 wins before a crowd of over 55,000 fans at the Astrodome in a regular season 69-68 to 68 win for Houston. In, in that game, Hayes scored 39 points, uh, for the, the Houston, University of Houston. And later on at the NCAA tournament, the two teams and their legendary big men would match up again. Only this time, it was Kareem and the Bruins that would have their way triumphing 101 to 69. And just a few days later, they took the 1968 tournament in a huge victory over North Carolina's Tar Heels to win that third title. Now, Jabbar only witnessed two losses in his college basketball career. Think about that for a second. Two losses, wow. And he cut down the nets in three consecutive years. He was a major factor in this, too, as he averaged 26 points per game over those three-year period and won the NCAA Men's Tourney Most Outstanding Player Award all three seasons that he played in it. I don't think that'll ever be repeated. Now the NBA draft came around and the former Bruin Center was picked by the Milwaukee Bucks. Now Cinder wasn't happy with going to Milwaukee, but he did go and he played there for four seasons and played well enough to help the Bucks capture the NBA title in 1971, as the standout earned NBA MVP awards twice in Milwaukee, seasons in 1972 and 1974. After his rookie year, he changed his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as he was finally fully accepted into the Islamic faith. Finally, in 1975, he was traded to the Los Angeles Lakers, where he developed even more, won a few more titles, and collected NBA Most Valuable Player trophies two more times. And this might sound like it was easy, but think about the legendary big guys. That Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had to face in his career. Men like Wilt Chamberlain, Moses Malone, Elvin Hayes, Bill Walton, and Dave Cohen. Just to name a few. And these battles in the paint and, and were more even more epic over the span of Abdul-Jabbar's career in the NBA. After retiring with so much accomplished on the court, Kareem did some acting. Has written some books and even produced and developed some films out of Hollywood. The man has no boundaries to his talents. And lately, he's been in news for standing up for women's rights and minority rights and has been a great role model for the youth of the world for decades. He was uh, placed in honor into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1995 and has received numerous other honors for his performance on and off the court. And now we know just a little bit more about the legend of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and his great basketball career and uh, great life that he has had so far and uh, always uh, seeing great things from Kareem. So we thank you for listening and hope that you learned a little bit more about him, just like I did in our quest to learn more about great sports history moments and players. And uh, definitely did today with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So tune in next time with us and uh, some have some more great sports history uh, with the jerseys and players that uh, made the sports so great. And uh, we hope you'll join us then. So till then, have a great sports history day. We're dribbling around and see the shot clock's almost out, so we got to put up our shot and come back tomorrow for some more great sports history. We invite you to check out our websites, jerseydispatch.com and pigskindispatch.com. Not only see the daily sports history, but to experience the preservation of great events and people that play the games. Find us on Pigskin Dispatch. It's also on social media outlets of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all your daily sports history.